0: Hello, and welcome to the all new Verity podcast for Thursday, August 17th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Adam Clark. And I'm Scott Wallace with today's top headlines. The UN says more
1: than one million people have fled Sudan's spiraling conflict. Mark Meadows asks for the Fulton County, Georgia case to be moved to federal court. A NATO official floats a territorial concessions for membership solution for Ukraine. While Ukraine captures a key town in its counteroffensive. North Korea says the U.S. soldier who crossed its border was fleeing racism. Kevin McCarthy proposes a stopgap bill to avoid a U.S. government shutdown. Extreme water stress faces countries home to 25% of the global population. A former
0: FBI official pleads guilty to supporting a Russian businessman. X was reportedly delaying access to content on some media platforms, and three and a half million people worldwide lose their millionaire status. Tough luck, Adam. You'll 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 get back there. Don't worry. Yeah, things have been tight. Had to tighten some belts. Nine hundred ninety-nine thousand
1: nine hundred ninety-nine dollars isn't too bad either. I just over-tipped that one dinner. The service was really good, though. I mean,
0: what do you you know? What do you? Realized, I was really dough? blown away by the service.
1: Our top story, over one million people have fled war-raged Sudan. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Voice of America, France 24, The Guardian, Africa News, and Republic World. In a joint statement released on Tuesday, UN agencies said that after four months of war, more than one million people have fled Sudan to neighboring countries, as people in the East African nation are running out of food and dying from lack of medical care. According to the U.N.'s International Organization for Migration, more than 3.4 million Sudanese have also been internally displaced since fighting broke out between the Army and the Paramilitary Rapid Support Forces, or RSF, on April 15, while reports of sexual assaults rose by 50 percent. While the statement calls for an immediate ceasefire, U.N. High Commissioner for Human Rights Volker Turk condemned the disastrous, senseless war in Sudan saying the forcible displacement and sexual violence may amount to war crimes. The joint statement, also signed by humanitarian organizations such as Save the Children and CARE, warns that the situation is spiraling out of control, with more than 6 million Sudanese facing famine and more than 14 million children in need of humanitarian assistance. In Sudan's western Darfur region, which suffered its own war in the early 2000s, fighting has turned to ethnic violence, with RSF and allied Arab militias targeting so-called African communities, U.N. officials say. Dozens were reportedly killed in attacks last week in South Darfur. Efforts led by Saudi Arabia and the U.S. to broker a ceasefire in the conflict, in which the U.N. says more than 4,000 people have been killed recently stalled, while humanitarian aid is struggling to reach people due to insecurity,
0: looting, and bureaucratic hurdles. Thank you, Scott. Here on the podcast, we like to separate the facts from the narrative spin. Scott just laid out the facts on that first story. I'm going to start our first round of narrative spins with a pro establishment narrative, and it's provided by Republic World. The latest UN figures are a grim reminder to the world not to forget the civil war that has been raging in Sudan for the last four months. Both the Army and the RSF are responsible for numerous war crimes and human rights violations. But what matters most to the people now is rapid emergency aid. The international community must live up to its humanitarian responsibility and finally provide sufficient funds to help the suffering population.
1: And the New York Times brings us an establishment-critical narrative. The U.S. and Saudi Arabia played a problematic role in the genesis of the conflict through their stance in the 2021 coup by the Sudanese army and the then-affiliated RSF. Despite protests against any kind of military rule, Riyadh and Washington helped legitimize the coup and the military takeover. The fact that millions of Sudanese are forced to flee is also a result of meddling by powerful international actors in the country's internal affairs.
0: And there's also a cynical narrative provided by Middle East Monitor. What the Sudanese actually need now is a ceasefire and humanitarian aid, not arms supplies such as those recently provided by the United Arab Emirates to the RSF as long as regional actors fuel the complex conflict for their own geopolitical interest while pretending to only want to end the humanitarian suffering there will be no peace in Sudan
1: when you provide military aid to a uh, you know some kind of a force i mean it's kind of a tale as old as time where later on you realize that you maybe didn't want to arm or rely with those. You know, we were providing arms to uh, Osama bin Laden in the 80s when they were fighting the Soviets and all, all that stuff. Yeah,
0: it just seems like adding fuel to the fire type thing as opposed to pouring water on the fire to try and put it out yeah
1: yes that's yeah that's
0: right yeah fighting fire with fire we should we should revise that, uh, <laughs> that I think. yeah there's there, there's no protective fire line that they're creating here there's not like you know well if we have more fighting over here the fighting will cease over here no you're just going to have two big fights yeah, there's enough on.
1: oxygen for all these firefights unfortunately oh, oh yeah
0: oh yeah i'm sure they, they, they they'd throw rocks if they needed to Want to help us improve the news? Go to www.improvethenews.org forward slash pod. Take a quick survey and tell us what you think. Now back to the news. Mark Meadows has requested to move the Georgia case to the federal court. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Fox News, CNN, Politico, New York Post, Associated Press, and NBC. On Tuesday, former Trump White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows petitioned the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Georgia to transfer his charges in the Georgia 2020 election interference case to federal court. The court filing argues that he is entitled to bring a federal immunity defense because the Georgia state charges against him stem from his behavior as then-President Trump's chief of staff. Federal officers are generally allowed to transfer state charges to federal court, if the alleged conduct falls under their officials' duties, with the lawyers adding that this prosecution amounts to state interference with the federal government. This comes as a grand jury indicted him Monday on charges under Georgia's Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations, or RICO, statute, along with Trump and 17 additional co-defendants, and for soliciting an official to violate their oath of office. Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis filed criminal charges against them following a years-long probe into allegations that they plotted to illegally overturn Trump's 2020 election loss and stop the peaceful transition of power. Addressing this indictment for the first time on Wednesday, Republican presidential candidate and former Vice President Mike Pence also stated that there was no election fraud in the critical swing state of Georgia.
1: Thanks, Adam. We have a pro-Trump narrative from One America News. Federal law leaves no doubt that criminal proceedings brought in state court must be moved to a federal court if the alleged crimes took place when the defendant was operating in a federal role. Given that activities for which Meadows was indicted are within the scope of his duties as the White House chief of staff, this shift of venue is fully justified.
0: And that's going to be followed up with an anti-Trump narrative, also known as a Democratic narrative, provided by Newsweek. It's hard to believe that a court will be convinced that Meadows was acting under his official duties when he attempted to use his authority to try to illegally overturn the 2020 presidential election, particularly because his text message to the office of the Georgia Secretary of State Chief Investigator is enough evidence that his involvement in the plot was not part of his role.
1: And from time to time, we have statistics-based nerd narratives brought to us by the Metaculous Prediction community. This time, they say there's a 25 percent chance that any U.S. court will rule that Donald J. Trump is disqualified from holding the presidency before January 20th of 2025.
0: I, I got a feeling that if that ends up happening, that we're going to have like a kind of a Ralph Nader situation here where there's going to be so many write in votes for Trump. That whoever runs gets nominated as a Republican doesn't doesn't have a chance.
1: I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. The Ross Perot Nader situation, where yeah, I think you're right. I mean, th- there's plenty of Republicans who might prefer a different candidate than Trump, but his very existence kind of nullifies that
0: that route. Yeah, I think there's there's too much of a percentage of Trump followers in the Republican Party for them to have any kind of coalition to come together and vo- vote for someone Republican. Right.
1: There's an argument to be said that. That coalition isn't enough to win, but it's it's enough to lose if yeah, you don't yeah. have it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Basically. A NATO official suggests Ukraine can cede territory for membership. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Ukranska Pravda and Newsweek. A NATO official has prompted ire from Ukrainian leaders after suggesting that the war torn country could join the military alliance if it ceded some of its territory to Russia stein jensen who has been nato secretary general jen stoltenberg's chief of staff since 2017 made the comments at a speaking event in arendal norway he said i think that a solution could be for ukraine to give up territory and get nato membership in return however he stressed that it must be up to ukraine to decide when and on what terms they want to negotiate nonetheless the statements drew angry responses from ukrainian officials with the country's foreign ministry responding We have always assumed the alliance, like Ukraine, does not trade territories. The conscious or unconscious participation of NATO officials in shaping the narrative regarding the possibility of Ukraine's giving up its territories plays into the hands of Russia. Later in the day, NATO issued a statement saying, we fully support Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity, as NATO leaders reaffirmed at the Vilnius summit in July. We will continue to support Ukraine as long as necessary, and we are committed to achieving
0: a just and lasting peace. All right, thanks, Scott. We've got an establishment critical narrative starting off the spins provided by Pravda. Any talk of Ukraine giving up its territories to secure a peace deal is unacceptable. NATO should be working to ensure that Ukraine has all the weapons it needs to successfully repel Russia from all its territories, not making statements that favor the enemy. And a
1: pro-establishment narrative comes from Newsweek. NATO fully supports Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity. These were simply offhand remarks that suggested a hypothetical of how the war may end, but the input to a solution is Ukraine's to make.
0: And there's a nerd narrative that says there's a 1% chance that Ukraine will join NATO before 2024, and that's according to the Metaculous Prediction community. Oh, come on, why even say anything? That's just like the... The nerd in the room goes, "Oh well, you know, I think there's a one percent chance that Ukraine." I will think join it's United just damning with faint praise. You know, there's a
1: one percent chance. I'm I'm seeing it the other way. How's that? You know, you if you give someone a compliment that's not so great, you're actually insulting them.
0: Oh, like a, back, a backhanded compliment. Kind of. Yeah,
1: kind of. Yeah, yeah. You uh, you really picked up on that fast, Adam. Thanks. Thanks.
0: Thanks. Thanks, Scott. Oh, you mean sarcasm. <laughs> see, see what I did there? <laughs> so, so the nerds have got a, a, a twisted, dark sense of humor. Kind of. Kind of.
1: Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> if they're lucky.
0: <laughs> Ukraine claims to have recaptured the town of Urozhana. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Newsweek, Ukraine Forum, TAS, Reuters, and Newsweek. Ukraine claimed to recapture the western Donetsk town of Urozhana on Wednesday marking its first substantial gains in weeks after retaking a string of villages from Russian troops in the middle of June. Ukraine's deputy defense minister, Hanna Malyer, confirmed liberating Urozhain in the occupied Donetsk region, adding the country's defenders are consolidating their positions. Oleg Chekhov, a military spokesman for Russia's battle group East, didn't acknowledge Urozhain's loss. Instead, he claimed that Russian forces damaged Ukrainian troops and armored vehicles near the village. However, Rybar, a prominent Russian military blogger, suggested that Uruzain had become a gray zone, a term typically used by pro-Russia voices to minimize the scale of losses. After Russian forces withdrew from the village, Urozhain is the first village Kyiv claims it has recaptured, which could bring Ukraine closer to Staromlinivka, a Russian stronghold since retaking neighboring Staromayorsk on July 27th. Meanwhile, the Institute for the Study of War claims Russian forces had likely largely withdrawn from the core of the settlement to positions on its outskirts. However, Ukraine forces have likely not yet established full control of central or southern Uruzain, where limited skirmishes for control are likely ongoing.
1: All right, thanks for that update, Adam. The pro-Ukraine narrative comes from CNN. While the capture of Uruzain doesn't represent a significant strategic gain, it shows that Ukrainian forces continue to drive forward. Regaining its territory is a step in the right direction and brings Ukraine closer to breaking through Russia's defenses.
0: That's going to be backed up with a pro-Russia narrative provided by TASS. Russian forces continue to engage in battle for the villages of Uruzain. Over the past day, Putin's troops destroyed several Ukrainian vehicles while landing strikes at groups of Ukrainian personnel. The news of logistically significant Uruzena's loss is false. And another
1: nerd narrative from Metaculous. This time they predict there's a 3% chance that Ukraine will have de facto control of at least 90% of the Donetsk and Luhansk oblasts by January 1st, 2024.
0: More More faint praise.
1: North Korea says the U.S. soldier that crossed the border was fleeing racism. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, BBC News, Reuters, ABC News, Voice of America, and Business Insider. North Korea's state-run Korean Central News Agency Wednesday claimed that a U.S. soldier who defected to the North last month sought refuge from so-called inhuman maltreatment and racial discrimination in the U.S. It was the first time North Korea acknowledged that it had detained 23-year-old U.S. Army Private 2nd Class Travis King, who made an illegal crossing from South Korea on July 18th while on a guided civilian tour of the joint security area. North Korean media reports that during the North's investigation, King expressed his desire to seek refuge there or in a third country as he was disillusioned with the state of perceived racial inequality in the U.S. King developed ill feelings toward the U.S. Army and had reportedly been under the control of North Korean soldiers since entering the DPRK. U.S. officials were unable to immediately verify King's comments, with a spokesperson asserting, we remain focused on his safe return. King joined the Army in 2021 and is a cavalry scout with the Korean Rotational Force. He was due to face disciplinary measures when he arrived back in the U.S. after pleading guilty to assault and destruction of public property for damaging a police car during a profane outburst directed at Korean people. The North Korean announcement comes on the heels of multiple attempts by the U.S. Department of Defense to contact the North about King, reportedly without receiving any official response.
0: Wow, Scott, we've got a lot to unpack here on that story. We're going to start off with a pro-establishment narrative provided by Daily Mail. When authoritarian states like Russia, China, and Iran take American soldiers captive, they usually demand a price for their release. Washington is concerned that North Korea may capitalize on King's defection and set a price for his return. King may have entered the hermetic country because he was running away from his legal problems and concerns of systemic racism. But the most important task right now is getting him home safely. KCNA Watch brings us the establishment critical narrative.
1: King illegally intruded into the country of North Korea because of deep racial discrimination in the U.S. Army. While Washington likes to judge other countries atop its pedestal, the U.S. has many issues of its own that need to be addressed, including racial discrimination. A deep investigation into this case by the North's officials is well warranted.
0: I still think he was trying to get his Frisbee.
1: No, no. Remember how big of a deal stuff was when you were a little kid? Like, Yeah, oh, exactly. Man. I mean, I mean, this I mean, is like I...
0: the, the ultimate bad neighbor. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I yeah I would actually like open a frisbee store on, in the DMZ, <laughs> yeah. you know, because like oh, you, you like, don't want to go over there. Yeah, you, I got one it. for you, just, right? You
0: they you, you look over and there's like on the on the roofs at the DMZ, there's like tons of frisbees on top of there's the ro- Nerf balls. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, don't mess with the neighbor; he's That's crank, right. he's cranky. <laughs> Kevin McCarthy proposes a short-term funding bill to avert a government shutdown. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Associated Press, ABC News, Fox News, NBC, New York Times, and Politico. U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, the Republican from California, has proposed a stopgap funding package to avert a government shutdown by the end of next month. The proposal was made during a private call with House Republicans on Monday, as the House and Senate remain divided over a long-term agreement. Sources that took part in the call report that the temporary funding measure, known as a continuing resolution, would not extend beyond early December. McCarthy has been hesitant to endorse the use of a continuing resolution in the past. A resolution could give lawmakers more time to draft a deal for 2024 and continue funding the government at 2023 levels, set before the GOP took control of the House. Conservative figures in the House have already spoken out against any proposed continuing resolution. On Wednesday, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, the Democrat from New York, said that he and McCarthy have agreed to pursue a funding stopgap. The GOP-controlled House has attached conservative policy proposals to the spending bill, with Schumer saying the narrowly Democrat-controlled Senate would reject a partisan bill. The stopgap would buy the House time to pass 12 individual appropriation bills, keeping McCarthy's promise to avoid any omnibus legislation. The spending bills cleared the Senate in a bipartisan basis, but could be the subject of fierce debate in the House. The debt ceiling deal passed earlier this year saw both sides agree to a 1% across-the-board cut in government spending next year, if the deal was still in effect. The Hill brings us the Democratic Narrative. The
1: GOP's far right is once again threatening a government shutdown if radical proposals on immigration, abortion, and LGBTQ rights are not appended to a spending deal, holding Congress hostage. Their irresponsible posturing resulted in a downgrade of the U.S. sovereign credit rating as McCarthy refuses to stand up to the radical wing of his party. Forcing a politically unpopular shutdown will only hurt the American people as the GOP makes keeping the lights on in the federal government partisan. And that's going
0: to be followed up with the Republican narrative provided by National Review. While the media overhypes international discord on the GOP for clicks, the fact of the matter is that Kevin McCarthy has shown himself to be the most effective House GOP leader in decades. McCarthy's deft negotiating over the debt ceiling resulted in a deal more amenable to conservatives than liberals, proving himself to be a leader who can secure concessions from the Democrats. His prowess in Washington is not to be underestimated. And Fox News comes off the top rope with Narrative C. If Kevin McCarthy
1: appeases the Democrats and keeps their reckless spending regime intact, the House will have no choice but to revolt and force a shutdown for the good of the American people. The GOP could take bold action against a weaponized federal government, wasteful spending, and the border crisis if McCarthy does not capitulate and pass a stopgap. The time for half measures has passed and it's time conservatives stand up and force the issues that matter most. A new report claims that 25% of the global population faces a water crisis. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, The Guardian, World Resources Institute, and Sky News. According to the Aqueduct Risk Atlas, published on Wednesday by the World Resources Institute, 25% of the global population faces significant water scarcity, and by 2050, another 1 billion people could experience the same. Data shows that the 25 countries that house a quarter of the world's population are using more than 80% of their water supply annually, and that the water demand has doubled since 1960. By 2050, water demand is expected to climb by 20 to 25%. The study also suggests that at least 50% of the global population lives under highly water-stressed conditions for at least one month of the year. Of the 25 countries classified as under extreme water stress, Bahrain, Cyprus, Kuwait, Lebanon, and Oman are the worst impacted. Water stress levels in the U.S. and Europe appear to be static due to significant investments in technology and water use efficiencies. However, the seven states in the Colorado River Basin in the U.S. rank among the top 10 in the country facing high levels of water stress.
0: Which is crazy, you think, with all that water—the Colorado River—they wouldn't, but they don't get to touch any of that water.
1: So it has to go to California. Is that how it, it works, or has to go to Mexico? Certain yeah, it has to go uh, to various yeah, places, you know, right?
0: It's not—it's not California. We get—we get a bunch of water from the from the Sierras, but our water here in the Sierras doesn't really stay in the valley as much as it goes down to LA. Good old, good old Mulholland. Right.
1: So there's like an agreement, like you have to let this Colorado
0: River water flow that's why they can't Yeah, touch I think it. It, well Is it's, just, it's it has it's being right. used by other people. I think similar in the in like the water deal situation that like Mulholland made for water in LA. Right, cuz
1: they could damn the whole thing off if they felt yeah, like it exactly. and no one would get any exactly. water. You can't have that. I mean, I always think about at the end of the Big Short they talk about Michael Burry, you know, and the 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 Christian Bale character and then at the end and this movie's 10 years old now or whatever, but they're like, you know, Michael Burry, the guy who predicted the whole Big Short and called it he's moved on to investing in water. Yeah. That's the next one, people. So, you know, a, a bad mortgage is one thing, but if you don't have water, that's going to Yeah,
0: kind of follow, f- yeah. follow what he's Yikes. doing. Thanks, Scott. We've got a narrative a starting off the spins provided by CNN. With the number of people facing water scarcity growing each year, the world is staring down a deadly crisis. The demand for water is skyrocketing, and not just in rural communities, but in cities and urban areas as well. Governments will have to start leveraging international coordination, flood and pollution control, and begin to share data and technology to increase efficiency as the demand continues to grow. And Narrative B comes from National Geographic.
1: Even though the demand for water is increasing, the bigger underlying threat is climate change. As the climate changes, it will increase the risk of drought, but some areas will see an increase in floods. Flood waters and runoff carry sediment, fertilizers, and other pollutants that clog waterways and lead to rare and unnatural events, like significant algae blooms that render water useless for drinking, cooling off, and irrigation. Every individual has a role to play in tackling climate change as a root cause of the water crisis.
0: A former FBI official pleads guilty to helping a Russian businessman. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Politico, NBC, CNBC, Associated Press, and Radio Free Europe. Charles McGonigal, the former head of the FBI's counterintelligence division in New York, has pled guilty to one count of conspiracy having worked for a Russian businessman under U.S. sanctions. McGonigal struck a plea deal for the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York, officially admitting to violating the International Emergency Economic Powers Act and engaging in money laundering. According to federal prosecutors, McGonigal investigated a rival businessman at the request of Oleg Deripaska for $17,500. The Department of Justice has claimed that the money was laundered from the Russian Gazprom Bank to Cyprus and a business bank account in New York before being sent to McGonagall's personal account. Prosecutors also revealed that McGonagall had been in negotiations with co-conspirators to remove Deripaska from the U.S. sanctions list for a fee ranging between $650,000 and $3 million. McGonagall told a federal judge that he was deeply remorseful for his actions that occurred in 2021. While leading New York's counterintelligence division between 2016 and 2018, McGonigal supervised investigations, including that of Deripaska himself. The former FBI agent also faces separate charges in Washington, D.C. related to work for Albanian officials. When sentenced in December, McGonigal could face up to five years in prison. All right, Adam, the New York Post brings us the
1: establishment critical narrative. There is a deep irony that the FBI, as they desperately obsessed with the meritless task of discovering links between Trump and Russia, themselves were the source of a Russian conspiracy. The naked politicization of federal organizations continues to make a mockery of the U.S., and the current state of the FBI is nothing
0: short of appalling. And MSNBC is going to follow that up with a pro-establishment narrative. While McGonigal's behavior paints a problematic picture of the U.S. intelligence community, these events are a stark reminder that the U.S. continues to have adversaries throughout the world who seek to covertly undermine America. Despite this, it's also reassuring that the FBI was able to uncover the internal conspiracy. It's imperative that we strengthen the important institution that is the FBI, not try to tear it down with baseless conspiracies. And Metaculous strikes
1: again with another nerd narrative. This time they say there's an 18% chance of a Russia-U.S. war before the year 2050. A new report says X may have delayed access to external sources. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Washington Post, The Guardian, CNN, Reuters, Business Insider, and The Independent. A Washington Post report said on Tuesday that Elon Musk's social media company X, formerly known as Twitter, Delayed access to links to news outlets such as Reuters and the New York Times, as well as competitors, Blue Sky, Facebook, and Instagram. The post conducted a test showing that Twitter links to the affected sites would send users to a blank screen that lasted for up to five seconds before the linked webpage would open. Hacker News was the first to report the alleged delays. The delays only involved t.co links, a service that processes and abbreviates links posted to X, and the problems were reportedly resolved by Tuesday afternoon, with links to the sites in question opening within one second of clicking. Critics are accusing Musk of throttling access to sites that have been critical of him and his management of X. The delays for the New York Times started on August 4th, the same day Musk had criticized the newspaper for a politically sensitive story on South Africa. Meta Chief Executive Officer Mark Zuckerberg also responded to the Hacker News post about X's delays with a thinking face emoji. There's no evidence to yet suggest if the delays are linked to any of Musk's comments about the afflicted outlets, and X has yet to respond to the questions. The Times said it hasn't received an explanation, while Meta and Blue Sky have not made an official
0: comment. All right, Scott, we're going to start with the Narrative A provided by Gizmodo. Elon Musk can be called many things, but free speech absolutist is definitely not one of them. It's quite suspect that all the delays happen to affect competitor sites and news outlets that Elon Musk has publicly disparaged. This is another disturbing turn of events for the platform formerly known as Twitter. And narrative B comes from Breitbart. We only see legacy
1: media and big tech outlets up in arms about censorship now that there are alleged reports of X delaying access to links for five seconds. It's not even confirmed that there are any intentional delays to websites. Still, if that is the case, it only shows the need for regulation that prohibits online favoritism coming from all sides. The Internet is a
0: public space, and we must give everyone equal access. And the nerds of Metaculus have an opinion on this story. They think there's a ninety-five percent chance that Elon Musk will remain the owner of Twitter, or X, by January first, twenty twenty four. Well, that's good to know that Elon's not gonna lose his job. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't worry much about that.
1: Five seconds, man, when I was on Prodigy trying to surf Alta Vista or something, <laughs> I would have killed
0: for five seconds. Yeah, you know, you know, all the experts you know, like, no, no, no. I, I, it's probably your computer. Yeah. <laughs> probably you just got a slow computer. That's all it is.
1: Have you turned it on and turned it off? Yeah, you got-
0: <laughs> <laughs> and our final story today is a report that states inflation has cost three and a half million their millionaire status globally. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Guardian, Fortune, The Telegraph and Global. According to the latest Global Health Watch reported by Swiss Bank Credit Suisse and UBS on Tuesday, the number of adults with more than $1 million in assets fell by $3.5 million to $59.4 million worldwide in 2022. About 1.8 million, or 51% of the people who lost their millionaire status, were in the U.S. However, it still has far more millionaires than any other country at $22.7 million or about 38.2% of the world's total. The decline results from global wealth falling for the first time since the 2008 financial crisis, primarily due to high inflation and the collapse of global currencies. In nominal terms, net private wealth fell by $11.3 trillion, or 2.4%, to $445.4 trillion at the end of 2022, Additionally, average wealth per adult dropped by $3,198, or 3.6%, to $84,718. Along with average global wealth, global wealth inequality also declined in 2022, with the wealth share of the world's top 1% dropping to 44.5%. Meanwhile, the report predicts total global wealth could rise 38% to reach $629 trillion by 2027, with the number of millionaires increasing to 86 million people over the same period. All right, our final
1: round of narrative spin starts with Narrative A from Oxfam. For a small minority of the world's super-rich, 2022 was a year to forget as Russia's invasion of Ukraine supposedly forced central banks across the globe to raise interest rates that caused high inflation. However, let's not forget that a new billionaire was born every 30 hours on average during COVID, while over 160 million more people were forced into poverty. If the world's top 1% lost 99.99% of their wealth tomorrow, they would still be more prosperous than the remaining 99%. Redistribution through taxation is vital.
0: We've also got a Narrative B provided by Washington Post. Taxing the overall wealth of the world's richest people won't actually help with redistribution, but would rather reduce the amount of capital available for investments and impede economic productivity. Instead, as has worked in Europe, rich countries should tax the consumption of these wealthy individuals. While it may be difficult to transition to such a system in a place like the U.S., it's a far better option than ruining economic opportunity for the middle and lower class.
1: And a nerd narrative from Metaculus. This time they say there's a 54% chance that the richest person in the world in 2023 will have a net worth equivalent to or greater than 2% of the U.S. GDP at that time. I already know what's going to happen, Adam. What's that? Right when I become fabulously wealthy... That's when they'll figure out this wealth redistribution thing. So it's just like the minute I make it, it's like, oh yeah, we're giving it all back. It's not it's not cool anymore. Yeah, we
0: all go the whole country goes communist and it's just yeah, Yeah, exactly. That's
1: but the good news is I can say every I haven't reached that point, nor am I even close to it. So don't don't worry for now, rich guys. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. We we got a long time off. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Ways to go.
1: Keep keep counting those bills. Thanks for listening to the Verity Podcast
0: for Thursday, August 17th, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers, and we figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all the articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ.
1: For more information on Verity, visit our website, verity.news, or download the Verity app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Adam Clark, I'm Scott Wallace, inviting you to join us next time on the all-new Verity Podcast.